most of you heard my announcement that we have made a change in chapel, and uh, Dr. Gady was kind enough to relinquish a speaking uh, uh, time, teaching time, so that we could take advantage of uh, hearing from a friend from Israel. And uh, this is a gentleman that I've heard so much about over the years and have uh, very much looked forward to meeting. And I've asked another friend to introduce him who knows him better than I do since I've just met him, and that is Mr. Milt Richards, uh, father of one of our basketball players, <laughs> and he's going to come up and introduce our guest speaker this morning. That's my one claim to fame, Bob, you know. This is a, a unique privilege today because um, rarely in life do you have a chance to meet an original beside yourself, right? And... Uh, Today you have a chance to meet a true original member of the soil and of the heart of Israel. And I've been sworn not to say too much because so often we often introduce someone with a great introduction, then they give a great talk and put you to sleep. Today I want you to meet Nono Emmanuel Razanovsky, who's a true, true Old Testament Jewish rabbi who loves Jesus and his friend Mordecai. They're walking together in Israel and have a heart for God's heart for that nation. So meet Nono, my brother in Jesus. Come on, Nono. Uh, my real name is Emmanuel. Rings a bell to you? <laughs> Emmanuel Nono Razinovsky. Uh, Nono is a nickname that was given to me while I was very active. In the days where Israel was Palestine under the rule of the British, we hate the British so much, we fought against him. And uh, thank you. And uh, no, no, in Spanish, no, no, among many, many Jewish people, known as a grandpa, as a father, as a school teacher, and as a sage. While I was the commander at that time, I was 19 years old, and my soldiers were around 16 years old. So they respected me as an old age. Uh, person, and they gave me the name of Nono, which I was very proud of it, uh, to be carried for many, many years. I myself never studied English in my life. Never in my life I participated even in one lesson of English. We had a British so much, I never realized that the day will come and English will be such an important vehicle or a tool in my hand while I was working in Israel. I'm a seventh generation Israeli. I was born in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, to make it more accurate, for those of you who have been on any previous tours in Israel, I was born between the fifth and the sixth station of the cross, which is known as Via Dolorosa, the way of tears, just Opposite the place where I was born and when I was raised, and my father was the chief rabbi of the old city of Jerusalem, was a big, big church. 
And I never stepped in my life in a church. I never walked into a place where Christianity was taboo to me because that was my father's order. Don't talk to them. Don't trust them. They are your enemies. And that's the way how I was brought up for many, many years. 1948, where the War of Independence started, my father was the very last person who went into a war captivity in Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia that you know right here, but Philadelphia, which is the major city of Amman that mentioned in the Bible. All of my parents and the background of my family, all of them, are rabbis. My father's family from Poland, Ashkenazic Jews. My mother's family, all of them from Toledo, Spain, rabbis too. And the uniqueness of those families when they came to Palestine at that time, none of them came to live in Israel. As a matter of fact, they came to die in Israel, to be buried on the top of Mount Moriah, overlooking from Mount of Olives to the old city, where Jewish tradition says that this is the place where the Messiah will come for the Jewish resurrection, known as Triat That was the purpose. Probably I'm the first one in my family that I said to myself, I want to live, I don't want to die. And I became very active in the Haganah at that time. As I told you, I'm seven generations Sabra. I have a family of four children. My elderly son is the Israeli attache in Washington, D.C. He's an Israeli pilot at the Israeli Air Force. And he is serving in Washington, lives in Bethesda with all of his Jewish people there. My daughter, I believe she is a shrink in your language. <laughs> and uh, the other son is a principal of a secondary school and a cantor, a cantor. And my little son, he's 28 years old, and he just passed or graduated his master's degrees in international relations. My wife, a wonderful human being, a beautiful person. She was trained as a, what we call by mistake for many, many years, as a Mongolite specialized school teacher for Mongolite kids. Today, we don't call them Mongolites. They are the Down syndrome kids. I myself was a school teacher for many, many years. I was the head of the faculty of tourism in Israel. I was teaching a lot of archaeology because I'm an archaeologist. In addition to it, I was trained many, many guides to be guides, authorized guides in Israel because we do believe that a good guide is really a good ambassador of the country. So all of my life I was in the teaching business. And uh, I was very involved with many, many Jewish leaders, movements, and the others. Among them, 
top, top Jewish leaders of your country. And my son was trained here, being flying on the F-15 and F-16, and a very good friend of mine took care of him here while he was here with his cadman. And one day, this beautiful church and beautiful person went into a politics in West Virginia, in Norfolk, Virginia, and by nature, he wanted to bring his senator to Israel. And he called me, knowing that I know Israel, and through the telephone, he says to me, no, no, I'm bringing a very good friend of mine to Israel with his close friends too. Take care of them. And I did so. And that actually was the turning point in my life without knowing that actually I thought, ironically enough, that I'm teaching them happened to be that I've been taught. I was schlepping, as we say in Hebrew, moving from one side to the other for 10 days with this unique group of people. What fascinated me at that time, that among them was a person that hold the New Testament that I never touched in my life. And he was very sincere, asked me questions here and there, and the entire group were completely different to what I was used for many, many years as a guide. They never went to go into a shopping centers. They never asked for five and tenth. And they dedicated their time completely to study, to understand, and to see, mainly through the sources of the Old and the New Testament. At that time, I was a guide who knows the, the Bible by heart, but I, I did just a half work because that's the way I was brought up. At that time, I was teaching from here, there. This part was not part of my methods and my system. I did a job as a commercial guide, and I took them around. Fascinated me the fact that each one of them, every time that we started a brand new day, they were holding hands, praying to an abstract to me, Jesus, that God forbid I never mentioned his name. And they start a new tour. They never fought for the first or the front seats. As the others, no competition. I couldn't see it. Such an atmosphere to me, that was a brand new experience. After 10 days in Israel, which I showed them as much as I could at a time, according to their own itinerary, the very last day was a day they went to Jericho and bypassing the Jordan River to the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan to visit King Hussein on his anniversary of 50 years old. And at that time, the person that was holding the Bible in his hand for 10 days says to me, no, no, we are just about to cross the bridge going to visit the king of Jordan for his anniversary. He's supposed to welcome us here. He should come by helicopter. And I, sure enough, saw the helicopter in the air already. And he says, but you did a beautiful job. In return, we would like very much to bring you, and he says, I want you to be my friend, 
to meet my friend and to talk about Israel in one of our meetings. At that time, my question to him was, I thought to myself, who is paying for the ticket? That was in my mind, nothing else. Are you with me? Nothing else, who is paying with it? To me, to come to America, that was not a big deal because I've been here before, once or twice, so it was not a big deal to me. But the question, who is paying, that actually was extremely important to me. But he says to me, no, no, I told you that we brought here a very good friend of us, but none of us, on purpose, deliberately, purposely, we never mentioned to you the type and the nature of the people that you're sitting with for 10 days. All of them are senators, all of them are members of the Committee of Foreign Affairs in American Congress, and they came posthumously to, America, to Israel to see Israel, and Senator Paul Tribble at the time promised us that I know a person that I was with him that will do a good job by taking you around. You see how humbled I am? And I took him around, and he asked me to be with him. But they were afraid at that time, or on purpose, not saying the nature of their job. They told me that at the very last moment. Two weeks after, I received a beautiful invitation to come to visit the friends of this person by the name of Douglas Coe. And two Marines officers welcomed me in the International Airport in Washington. They put me in the Washington Hilton, and I couldn't believe my eyes. And Senator Paul Tribble says to me, tomorrow you're going to meet the president. And uh, he asked me, do you have any, uh, do you have the proper suit for that? And I says, yes, in Israel, we are wearing exactly as you are right now. I never have any tuxedo or something like that. And he uh, very nicely asked me, can I see what you have with you? And he saw it, and very diplomatically, he said, that's a beautiful stuff what you have, but it's not exactly what you need to meet the, uh, the president. So he took me to uh, Montgomery Mall shopping center there, and in a few minutes they fixed me a tie and a suit and a shirt, and I became a new person. And the following morning, 6 o'clock, they took me to meet the president. I was guarded by many, many security people, which remind me Morty and the others, to meet the president. We shook hands, and many other top people were there, the king and the queen of Tanga, the uh, chairman of the uh, Greece parliament, the Australian uh, prime minister, people that I never thought that I'll ever be able to come across to them. And uh, Carter was at that time the president, shook hands with me, we took pictures, was nice to me on a friendly basis, on a friend, on a person-to-person -person level, which I couldn't understand it. And I didn't see Doug, the man who brought me to this idea. And a little by little, I started to understand that his group of friends that he mentioned to me is not exactly the way I thought it to. He was talking Greek, and I understand in Bali, as the Bible said. At the very end, everyone left the room, and only the two of us remained. The, the, your president, his wife, and myself. 
And Senator Paul Tribble says to me, you are going into to meet my friends. And I realized that that will be the president, myself, and his wife. And I, I was shaking. You know, in Hebrew we said I was almost platting. I platched. I couldn't believe that I can do it. And eventually they brought us into the main dining room where around 4,000 people were sitting in a round-shaped tables like the knights, you know? And the head table with everyone, flowers, the American flags on both sides, and on the battery, on the podium, three empty seats. You can imagine, three empty seats, knowing that I was the first one to leave the room where I left the president and his wife. And I was looking around me and I said to myself, where is Doug Code, the man who brought me here? I was ready to kill him. <laughs> and I said to myself, no, no, better not to see him because you can, you, you'll kill him on the spot to do such a thing, to use such a chutzpah. I don't know if you are using this word before. I said, this is a crime, what he says to me. And all of a sudden, I see him sitting somewhere over there at the corner in a darkening area. And uh, I gave him a, a sign that I want to talk to him. And I was very nervous. And he understood what I'm trying to do. And he came into the podium. And very nicely, I says, Doug, what I'm going to talk. What do you want to talk? And he says to me very closely and very nicely, God will tell you what to talk. And I looked at him, and I couldn't believe myself. God will tell me what to talk. And he left me. <laughs> and the president and his wife came. And the most powerful singer, a black lady, which I don't remember her name, with a huge choir of students from Notre Dame de France, the university, she opened with a song that I never heard before, but became the song which I'm trying to sing every day and every night, without knowing at that time what actually the nature of this song. Are you familiar with this song? No, I'll tell you. Amazing Grace. They opened the banquet with such the most powerful song they introduced everyone, and they introduced me. And I said to myself, no, no, you are not here. <laughs> you are not with those people. Ignore them completely. <laughs> Ignore every one of the people that you see here. Just think for a moment that you are in front of your students back at the university where I used to teach. Talk about one of the most beautiful favor subject that I always do, which is the book of Ezekiel, especially chapter 37, which is known as the vision of the dry bones. There is a beautiful, beautiful monument outside of Israel describing, I would say, the Holocaust, describing the tragedy of, of, of Israel, Israelis, and the redeem or the redemption of Israel with the state of Israel. So I said to myself, no, no, you are not here. You are there on the top of the mountains of Judah. Those are not the kings and the queens and the uh, presidents and many other people. 
You are simply your friends, your buddies, your students back in Israel, and you are trying to teach them what is the redemption at the eyes of the book of Ezekiel. And uh, I spoke for 45 minutes. And the following morning, I'm not going to tell you, but I felt, I felt deep in my heart that I'm starting a new era, a new page in my life. I didn't know exactly what was it. I didn't know. But I knew for sure that it's not the same type of nono that I met before. And I was a little bit with the understanding that I'm approaching a new era. I came into a crossroad, which I'll have to share it very carefully with the others. And I knew that number one issue is, how should I explain myself to my wife? That she came from a family of survivors of ghetto Warsaw. And I didn't know how to do it. I returned back to Israel, and I was in such a position that not knowing how shall I solve this problem of telling her what happened to Nono and what happened to new Nono to her. And knowing that I know how to solve this problem, somehow I made a telephone call back to Daco in Washington. And that was around three weeks before the national prayer breakfast of the second year started. And I said, Doug, I'm in a problem. I know that I'm not the same person. But I don't know how to introduce it to my wife. And I'm afraid that that will ruin completely our relationship or will ruin the family that I loved very, very dearly. And Doug, as usual, in a very cold blood, says to me, I thought that he will call me much earlier. He says, but let me tell you what I think. What you should do is bring Sila to the National Prayer Breakfast. Let her see and understand what you did. This time I didn't ask who is paying for the tickets. And we came. And I did it on purpose, to be very frank with you. I have many friends in America, but I bought a ticket that the following day, at the end of the National Prayer Breakfast that took place in Washington, to return back to Israel, that all the other influence of America wouldn't be upon her, that she would be with me to understand what we just passed through. And I said to myself, that will bring us back to Israel in 26 hours, and then I'll be able to talk to her. But on the way to New York, my wife started to say, no, no, let me tell you one thing. I'm not so sure that I'm with you to what you're going because I can see that you are too sincere with it and I'm not ready for that. But she says to me, but I'll back you. I'm your wife, I'm your friend. If that's what you want to do, are you sure? I says, yes, definitely. She says, I'll back you, I'll help you, but don't ask me to be part of it. And that was a great, great beginning. Knowing that I can talk to her openly, I found the other problems, how to explain to my kids. Well, the pilot is too, uh, he was too busy in Israel and all this stuff. And the way he described it was beautifully. He says, this is a new toy, 
Pa? I said, no, it's, it's sincere. I said, go ahead. If that's what you want, do it. He was too busy even to think of it in sincere way. He took it as a, a, uh, an episode in my life. My daughter says, I'll back you. And I found out the daughter, she is the most important subject to be there. And I thought already of taking her to the, to the future natural prayer breakfast to be here. In the, in the uh, national prayer breakfast, we met many, many other groups of people who came from different countries, among them German people, among them people of the parliament, people that carrying extremely high jobs in Germany, and uh, they invited us to come to Germany. At that time, my wife says to me, over my dead body, I will stand on a German soil. Today, my wife, she's studying Germany, German, extremely good friend of her from Germany, and you wouldn't be surprised. She called themselves as my sister and as my brothers. I couldn't believe it. That's just to give you a brief idea of what took place in my life. But then I started to understand, as the book of Proverbs says, what is wisdom? The first part of being a wisdom or a wise man is to accumulate knowledge as much as you can. But if you don't use this knowledge to convey and to bring this message to the others, this is crime. That's considered as a sin. And at the very end of it, you'll never be able to use it and that will be forgotten. Knowledge should be shared with the others. At that time, I was very fat. I went to the doctor, the doctor says to me, don't, don't talk to me unless you will reduce at least, he says, 25 kilograms. We run by kilograms in Israel, it's approximately like 60 pounds. He says, take off 60 pounds and come to me. And I ask him, what shall I do, how shall I do it? He says, seafood diet. He says, seafood diet, that's very expensive, I cannot do it. He says, no, you don't get me. He says, seafood and diet, don't eat. That's a seafood diet, he says. And I did so. And I lost, I'm living around 10 kilometers from the seashore. So I start walking to the seashore. I came early in the seashore around six o'clock in the morning. I did some sports activities. And a little by little, I met some friends which became like a circle of, of people. And after two hours of uh, playing here and there sports, they knew my knowledge of the Bible and the Israel. They start asking me questions. And I knew that I want to deliver them the most important message in my life. But how shall I do it without being stoned by them? Because some of them are with Yomulke. Some of them are extremely Orthodox Jews, knowing the, their background of their education more or less similar to what I went through and knowing that he cannot even mention the name of it. You know how they call it? They used to call it the man. Okay? The homo. Somebody else. Not with the name. So I start talking. I said to myself, no, no. The only way that you can approach them when they ask me questions 
the history of Jerusalem, I said, you know what? Let's start constantly every day while we are here studying the destruction of the second temple. And I did it on purpose. The second temple time, this is the time of Jesus Christ. And I knew that somehow I'll be able to use him and to bring him from the indoor, from the outside into the center of the room. And only two people knew about what I'm doing. One of them is my brother in Christ, Moti, that's sitting here, that he was my commander in the army. And in many ways, I owe my life to him in three wars that we participated together. And another person that unfortunately cannot be with us today. The rest of the people knew that I am teaching only Jewish history. But I said to them, the only way that you understand what happened is to understand that at that time Christianity began and a person by the name of Jesus became the focus of many other people. The Romans were pagans and I did such a mixture of things that none of them will know that actually I'm trying to bring the love of Jesus to the people. And they were simply a beautiful students that they wanted just to use me because of my knowledge. And I use them knowing that it's important to me to share this love and to share this knowledge to the other. My father, may he rest in peace, was a wonderful people. I'll never forgive him for one good stuff. He brought me to such in a narrow-minded way to leave that all of you are my enemies. And I couldn't believe it. When I saw the first group of people, Doug and the others, I knew that somehow this is a mistake. I returned back to study. And I went back to all those sources that I never used before. And I started a new method in my life, teaching what I was missing before. Remember what I said at the very beginning? I was teaching from here, there, right? And then I start to teach from here, here, and there. Quite a different. Just the opposite way, the opposite approach. And I loved it. And I saw that this is something that cannot be described unless you will be able to come once and to see it. And every month, we are raising money a penny by penny here and there. And I'm taking a bus and taking our people to tours in Israel. And the main idea is not to go to the Western Wall or many other Jewish places that you know by heart. Let's go and see places that you never knew that are in existence, like Nazareth, like Bethlehem, and many other places, Mount Beatitudes, to the Sea of Galilee, to sit in a different approach, to understand, to take a boat ride, to understand. That's where I used to take the New Testament in my hands. And I said to myself, it was good to Jesus, it's good enough for Nono. And we are doing a very, very long process, bringing the love and the beauty of the uniqueness of our Lord. I knew that this is, will be extremely, extremely difficult unless I'll do it from the hard way. And that's, that's basically what I'm doing. Don't call me a Messianic Jew. Don't title me with anything of this type. 
That's not important. I'm simply a follower of Jesus, and that's the way I want to be, because if you'll put any other, any other frame to it, you may jeopardize what I'm doing back home. There is a law in Israel, there is no missionary work, and what I'm doing as far as teaching is all right, but if I'll do it differently, I'll be a subject of being in jail, and 10 or 12 years of what I'm doing will be damaged in two minutes. That's remind me a joke, which I want to tell you that, that will be important for you to know it. A Bedouin sheik used to ride a camel crossing the desert, and next door to him was riding his son on a camel. And the son says, Dad? He says, yes, son. He says, why? There is no water in the desert. And the father said, gee, I don't know. And then he says, Dad? He says, yes, son. Boulders, why there is so many stones here? Why? And the father says, gee, I don't know. And the third question was, Dad? He says, yes, son. Trees. Why would you not have trees here? And the father says, gee, I don't know. And clouds, I don't know. And he keep asking questions for 10 hours. And each response was, gee, I don't know. Finally, the 12 hours, the son says, dad, he says, yes, son. He says, you don't mind I'm asking you questions. And the father says, no, on the contrary. If you don't ask, how are you supposed to know? <laughs> I'm telling it to you. Because 99% of the people that I'm approaching in Israel never knew about it or never knew about Jesus, not because they refused to know. That's the way how they brought up. It's a very long, long and complicated issue and a process. And I need you for that. I need you to pray that I will succeed in what I'm doing. That's all what we need. Just remember that you have some friends and brothers in Christ in Israel. I'll leave you here, my address and my telephone number in one condition. Never in your life try to reverse charges, <laughs> but call us when you are in Israel. We need your presence there too, to see that we are not alone there and we are not lonely there. I think that this is the minimum that person like Moti and I can do in order to glorify the name and the king of kings that for many, many years it was a taboo to me to mention his name and I used to call him the Echo Homo, this person, not by name. God bless you. stand together and pray for Nono and Mordecai, his friend who's with him, and for all the brothers and sisters that were separated from by so many human-made uh, alienations and boundaries. Father, we thank you for how through the simplicity of love and friendship, these people who visited Israel and met Nono, demonstrated the love of Jesus through their actions, and were preaching to him through their love. 
but not preaching so much through their words. And we thank you that that love and that proclamation, which later became verbal as well, broke through many strongholds, broke through much hate and prejudice. And we thank you this morning that we've received the reverse of that, that no, no, our brother in Jesus has broken through some of our prejudices by sharing his love for you, his love for his people, his love for all people. We pray for his work as a follower of Jesus in the nation of Israel. We lift him up to you and his friend Mordecai, that their friendship would be like that of Saul and Timothy, be like that of David and Jonathan. And we thank you for the uh, honor of listening to his life story this morning and your work in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, and you're dismissed.